You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. So on Tuesday, while I was at Mile Cross with Molly, I, uh, we'd been talking with the children about um, true stories and what it was they were going to do and what this was all about. And Molly mentioned that I'd done one before and that I knew how they were feeling. And then I went home and my phone pinged and I got a, I looked at my text and it said, um, would you do a true story on Sunday night? It's shipwrecked. Shit, that's kind of... How did that come today while I'm doing true stories? So um, I've been thinking all week about various different things of being shipwrecked. And uh, I said to Molly earlier, I'm wondering if I can get that uh, fronted adverbial anecdote into my shipwreck story. I now feel a little bit shipwrecked because she's fucking stolen it from me. <laughs> Um, but that's not what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about, um, I never thought I would be following anyone who had actually been in a bloody shipwreck. I was like, it's easy, I must be able to, I mean, it's a metaphor, isn't it? We can just, you know, say almost anything. I go, I felt a bit shipwrecked, oh. <sighs> I now feel shipwrecked by someone who's been in a bloody shipwreck. Um, so... It was the metaphor and the metaphor of what that might mean and, and not only the, the metaphor of the shipwreck but uh, our sort of life rafts as well when we feel a little bit shipwrecked and it's music for me. Music has always um, been something or nearly always been something that's kind of helped me out of those moments where I might have felt a little bit out of my depth. And, uh, and the first one, so there's several elements to this. The first one uh, was in December 1980 um, when I was quite calmly aged 10 um, lying in bed, fast asleep, and I was woken up in this sort of panic by my mother. And um, uh, my mother is one of the most placid, undemonstrative people I have ever met. Um, she's so gentle, easy, calm. Um, I, I don't want to say emotionless, but it, it almost can come over like that. She's, she's not emotionless, but she's... she's doesn't show anything, she doesn't give anything away, and she was alive, she was something, had kind of brought something to this woman that I'd, I'd never seen like this before, and she told me that John Lennon was dead. Um, John Lennon's death meant nothing to me, age 10 in December 1980, I didn't know who he was, but the fact that she was so animated did, and so there was suddenly a moment where I thought, hold on, something's happened. I don't know what it is, but I've got to find out what it is. And I went to school, and we had one of those weird moments where an assembly was, you know, a teacher stood up and told us that this really important person was dead. And I was like, I've heard the second time I've heard that this morning. Um, but it didn't mean half as much as my mum's reaction. And so I went home, and I asked a little bit more. And I asked who the Beatles, well, who John Lennon was, and then I asked who the Beatles were, and then I got given that red album, the one of the singles from 63 to 66, and I, I kind of put it on the record, my parents' record player, and I listened, and something happened. 
um, I connected with, with music in a way that was different to that, you know, songs that you hear on the radio when you're a kid and Seasons in the Sun that I, pl I sang madly at um, primary school and, you know, those kind of silly summer hits and things of pop music. But this was different. This was my moment where I connected and I connected it with my mum's reaction and that music can really mean something important and deep. And it... It was, it was that m first moment where emotion and music and life and big steps and things that happen outside of you are all connected. And, um, and that kind of, that left me at that point feeling a little bit shipwrecked just by how shocked I was at my mum's reaction. And so I started to listen to the Beatles. They didn't last that long. I am not actually a very big Beatles fan. Um, I sometimes like to wind people up and go, yeah, they're a bit overrated, aren't they? Um, don't you think the Stones are better? Um, I do think the Stones are better, but we'll come to that. Um, so, John Lennon's death, that was, that was the first kind of moment of a, a musical hero. Wasn't at the moment I heard, but became. Um, and so that moment of kind of reacting to a, a pop star's death. Um, the next one, not the next one, but the next one that kind of had some kind of hit was in 1994. Uh, when I was walking on a Sunday morning, um, I'd recently separated from my partner. I was going round to pick up my two-year-old daughter. Um, and I was, I was in a bit of a Sunday morning state, um, sort of, yeah, I was feeling brittle and a little bit kind of... Yeah, it had been a good Saturday night. It wasn't a good Sunday morning. Um, and I went into the, um, the news agents on the way to try and pick up some LucasAid. And over the radio came the announcement that Kirk Bain had died. And that was a, you know, I'm just standing there Sunday morning. There was just that moment of this is another musician who kind of means something, um, who I had met who I had an argument with over a bottle of vodka. Um, but that's quite a good story, but it's for a different night. Um, but that death connected with me. And I, I walked on and I was you know, struggling and I was thinking, oh God, you know, another one, another one of those moments where you just feel a little bit lost. Um, and so there have been these moments where sort of somebody who's important, somebody whose work is important, somebody's events in life have all sort of clashed and, and crashed and collided. And um, just to go sideways a little bit, I, um, I think there's probably a bit of Walter Mitty in all of us. But maybe I just want to think that. Maybe it's just me that does veer off into fantasies every now and again. I can remember when I was teaching, I said this to a group of students about, you know, going into a, a house, you know, and letting myself, realising that I was the last one, uh, the first one in the house, there was nobody there. And so I would suddenly become James Bond. And the gun would come out, and, I'd, and they just all looked at me as if to say, firstly, you're fucking mad, and secondly, can we have a new teacher, please? Um, so I, I, there was always that little story, and I'm usually in it. And you know, So I played football for years uh, in a Sunday league team called the Gargars, and um, you know, right the way through my teens and my 20s and my 30s, every time I was playing, I could hear that match of the day commentary. You know, I could hear Gary Lineker's voice or Alan Hansen's voice. And, um, and eventually, at, at, in my late 30s, I kind of accepted that I wasn't going to get um, 
picked up on a Sunday morning by a scout for a Premier League football team. It's like, I now, you know, okay, it was always that possible. No, I'm 39, it is not going to happen. <laughs> so I had to find a new fantasy. Um, and so now I entertain myself most Saturday mornings by reading the, uh, the Guardian questionnaire. Um, and I'm reading through that and I'm thinking, oh, what would my answer be? When I'm the person that's answering this, you know, when was I most happiest? How often do I have sex? All those questions, those same questions they ask every week. When were you closest to death? And I think, ah, yeah, that's an interesting one. And uh, in 1989, I was traveling through Turkey with my friend John. And I was on the back of a bus listening to a music on a Walkman. Um, shows you the age. It would be an iPod now. Um, listening to my uh, Walkman. Don't know what I was listening to. And I just had that lovely feeling when you're starting to go to sleep. We had the back of the bus to ourselves, the back seat of the bus to ourselves, so we were stretched out. And I had that lovely feeling when you're starting, you're on a long journey and you listen to the music and you start to drift off and you start to fall asleep. And, but I was not falling sideways. I was falling backwards. And I was, it was really lovely and... And then I went, ah! And landed on John's lap, who sort of woke up in a start and went, what are you doing? You, you sort of pushed me off. And I went, I think I've just almost fallen out of the fire escape. And he said, no, I'm leaning on the fire escape. Which shocked him. He was like, well, that's, I probably shouldn't be. But and I went over to my side of the, the, beat, the seat and I put my hand on the window. And it wasn't there. And it went through the window. And it kept going, and I was like, there literally is no window here. And I wandered down to the front of the bus, slightly shakily, and said to the guide, who was sort of sitting next to the driver, I think I've just nearly fallen out of the back window. And, and he walked back up to the bus, and he looked, and he put his hand, and then he nodded, and went back to the front and told the bus driver to drive back, and we... we doubled back and, and retraced our steps and found this shattered piece of glass and this very dry, rubbery seal that had been holding the window in. And he shook his head and he got back on and he showed it me and then he got back on the bus and he lifted his bus seat up and said, beer? <laughs> and at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I just went back to, and John was like, you bastard, you got a beer? <laughs> Um, so, if I'm in my fantasy world, I'm no longer going to get scouted. I'm picked up uh, and, and interviewed by the Guardian. And when was I closest to death? And that's not true. That's not when I was closest to death. But it is the story I would probably tell because if I'm ever lucky enough to get published in the Guardian on a Saturday morning, my children will probably read it. But the closest to death I came was on the 26th and 27th of October, 2013. And this brings us to another rock star's death. I woke up in hospital to find that Lou Reed was dead. And Lou Reed is probably one of the artists that has most moved me over the years. Um, and he was dead. And I was alive. And I shouldn't have been alive. Because I'd been told the night before that I would probably die in the night or at very best survive the night but have severe organ damage by the morning. And, well, actually, I wasn't told. Somebody else was told. I overheard them being told. They were told that. Um, 
and it was my ex-partner that was being told that um, because I had made the decision the afternoon before to take 64 paracetamol. And I had calmly sat and taken them two at a time, and two at a time, and then gone to sleep reading David Peace's Red or Dead. Um, and the next thing, I'd basically woken up in hospital. Um, what happened in between that time is pretty much a blur. And my partner, had to, my ex-partner, had to make the decision on whether to tell my children, our children, and my older daughter, um, and and what was going to happen. And she she took the risk of not telling them, um, but she did tell my older daughter, um, who was 21 at the time, who decided not to visit, and who decided not to speak to me for quite some time. Um, another moment of feeling somewhat shipwrecked. Um, but she does speak to me now with good relationships, so I feel very lucky to have been saved from that one. And the next morning, after a very disturbed night of, of screaming and pain and disruption and movement and people arriving and people leaving and nurses coming in and nurses coming out and rectal examinations, not mine, thankfully, but I got all the details nonetheless, um, I woke to find that Lou Reed was dead and, and I wasn't. And I had this moment starting to think through the last 24 hours and then I took out my iPod, no longer a Walkman, and started to scroll through 5,000 songs or at least the artists, hundreds of artists that represent five or 6,000 songs on my iPod looking for something that I felt I needed to listen to. I had no idea what I was looking for. I was just looking for that, something that would say, yes, this is what you need to listen to right now. I couldn't listen to Lou Reed or the Velvet Underground. It just seemed too weird. I did later, but that very first time I put music back in my ears and I found, I came across, I stopped and then pressed play on Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones. I have no idea why. It just seemed the right thing. And I listened to it on full volume and when it finished, I pressed repeat and then I pressed repeat and then listened to nothing else for 30 minutes. It's a song I'd always loved, but now I treasure it somewhat differently. And that, I think, is the last time I remember feeling truly shipwrecked. And it was Street Fighting Man by the Rolling Stones that was my life raft. And I said, the Stones are better. Duncan Joseph. Wonderful. Thank you, Duncan. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk.